I know um, this can be tough for some folks um, to go through and uh, really when you look at the days of the early church um, and how far we have come today from where things were at the beginning of, of, of the infancy of the church. And, you know, when you go through and you consider all of those things that, um, that were a part of those beginning days, I, I mean, I stand amazed so often at um, just the determination uh, in those believers uh, of, of the task that they had been given uh, to begin the process. Um, because up until Acts chapter number 2, uh, you had Judaism, okay? Uh, you had the temple, you had the synagogues, and uh, so they all met uh, to worship in the synagogues and in the temple and to follow, of course, the law and all of those things. And now all of a sudden, things have changed. Uh, beginning in the Gospels, Jesus Christ shows up on the scene uh, during his earthly ministry, and he's, he is speaking uh, with authority of such no one had ever heard before. And he was speaking of things that uh, they had never heard before as, as well. And now all of a sudden to them, and I will say this, okay, you may disagree, which is okay, I still love you. And when we get to heaven, you'll find out I was right anyway. Okay, I'm just joking, okay. But just imagine the rabbis, uh, just imagine uh, the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, who was at the time in that position. And keep in mind that the high priest during Jesus' day was pretty much put in place uh, at the pleasure of Rome, all right? And so you had Ananias and, and Caiaphas, or Annas and Caiaphas. And of course, um, even in that process, one of the things that you need to understand is when Jesus referred to himself as the son of man or the son of God and he referred to himself uh, and the deity that he held within himself, you can only imagine what it must have done to those guys, okay? Because as far as they were concerned, because they, and here's something I think we as Western Christians, we miss out on this, Okay? especially at this, at this turning point of events. I want you to keep in mind every day the Shema was spoken and practiced by the Jews. And here's what the Shema says. If you're ever wanting to know what the Shema is and what it was that was spoken of all um, every single day, when you go into your house, when you come out of your house, when you sit down, when you stand up, the Shema was always a part of that. So if you go to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, uh, you can see it, okay? Uh, matter of fact, it is verse number 4. And when you look at this, now you're going to kind of get an idea now as to why there may have been some questions. Now, I know, and I agree wholeheartedly, that the priest, the high priest, and all of those with inside of Judaism should have gotten it anyway from the prophets, all right? But I want you to notice what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, 
the Lord is one. So as far as they were concerned, there was no one else. So how in the world does this one standing in front of us say that I and my father are one? So there was difficulty there from, you know, from the beginning. And so as Christianity begins to, 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 begins to uh, take place, as Christianity begins to take hold, uh, Jesus Christ goes to the cross. Um, he is buried. He rises again three days later. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And you have the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2 that we've talked about. And at the Acts, at, at, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit now is given, you and I here tonight, one of the things that, that, that we need to understand is Acts chapter 2 is a very important chapter even for us. Because that's when the Father sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so now, when we are saved and we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes his abode within us. So the life that we're called to live, which is a supernatural life, we're called to live not, our, not by ourselves, not alone, because God gave us his word and, his, and the Holy Spirit to help us live that life every day. Where we miss out is by neglecting those two. And oftentimes we attempt to walk it ourselves. The early days of the early church, please keep this in the back of your mind, they, they didn't have Bibles like you and I hold in your lap. They didn't have, this is the way you're supposed to do it. They didn't have, this is the process. They didn't have a bookstore that they could go to. So who was, where was their reliance upon? Their reliance was on the Holy Spirit and the apostles' teaching and each other. So as we start the journey tonight, one of the things that we kind of left off with the last time we were together, Jerusalem and the temple uh, just as Jesus had prophesied, said there would not be one stone left upon another. In A.D. 70, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, and uh, so was the temple. If you go to the Temple Mount today, that's one of the reasons why there's no temple there. It's never been rebuilt. And uh, so as you consider all this, it occurred just exactly the way that Jesus said that it was going to. So after the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, because one of the things you need to keep in mind, the beginning of the early church its infancy, its center of everything was in Jerusalem. Now it's destroyed. It's gone. Temple's gone. And so the center of Christianity is now going to shift from Jerusalem to another spot. And let me tell you where it shifts to. The center of the Christian movement is now going to make its movement northward and westward. So kind of in a northwest direction. And so the next stop where the center of Christianity is going to find itself is in Antioch of Syria. If you look at a map and you come up from the western coast of Israel on the Mediterranean Sea and you make your way up, it's just right at the border of Syria today. And Antioch of Syria would be located right there. Now don't confuse that. Because when you read through the book of Acts, 
uh, Acts chapter number 11, I believe is where it's first mentioned. So you have an Acts chapter number 11, then all of a sudden you come to Acts chapter 14, there's an Antioch in chapter 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13, you come to chapter 14, there's another Antioch. That is okay, there are two Antiochs. There's Antioch of Syria, and then there is Antioch of Pisidia. And so the Antioch of Pisidia is up in Asia Minor much further, okay? So there's actually two Antiochs. So the center of the Christian movement now is going to make its way to Antioch of Syria. And that's where we're going to pick up and that's where we're going to find after Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, he's eventually going to wind up in Antioch and that is Antioch of Syria. Now, let me say this, the church took root and had great influence throughout Syria. Uh, churches begin to be planted. Things begin to grow. Christianity begin to grow. And by the end of the fourth century, uh, when you come to, uh, to the end of that, Antioch had a population of a half a million people just in Antioch of Syria. And are you ready for this? And half of that population became believers. They were actually Christians. They became believers. And, um, so what happened after that? Well, Paul continued, and if you know anything about his missionary journeys, there was three of them, all right? And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, he begins to take the gospel and begins uh, to head out with the gospel. Uh, after he makes his way from there, uh, we'll know that he goes eventually to Italy, then the gospel goes eventually to Spain, uh, and as it makes its way, um, and just continues from there, all right? And guess what? Here we are tonight, sitting in a local New Testament church. As a result of hearing the what? The gospel. Beginning in its infancy, Acts chapter number two, in the city of Jerusalem. And look in how far it has spread today. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. And watch as all of this kind of unfolds because from Acts chapter number nine, uh, where we find Paul, of course, or uh, Saul, he begins preaching. Um, and throughout most of Judea, uh, as he begins to venture out, he's with the disciples. Uh, then you come back to Peter's um, ministry, and in, in Acts chapter number 10, you have, of course, Cornelius, uh, and you have, uh, of course, the infamous vision that Peter had. And so Peter calls what was on the sheet that was let down, he called it unclean. And God was trying to teach Peter a lesson. Peter, what I give you, let no man call unclean. And so he's getting ready to have this illustration presented to him now with the Gentiles coming into the church. Because here's the way the Jews saw the Gentiles. They saw them as unclean. And so now Peter's having to deal with this. Uh, Gentiles coming into the church. But then we make our way to chapter number 11. When you come to chapter number 11, Peter, of course, uh, reports at Jerusalem to the Jerusalem council. And then we come down to verse 19, and that's kind of where we pick it up as we make the journey into Antioch. And so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Remember Stephen the martyr. Uh, Saul consented to his death. Matter of fact, Saul was the one who held the very cloak the coat of Stephen when he's stoned to death. So anyway, uh, the persecution that began in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus. 
and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. That's where they first went. They took it to the Jews alone. So when you look at Antioch of Syria and you go right straight west of Antioch of, 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 of Syria, you find the little island out there of Cyprus, okay? And that's where they were headed. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks or to the Gentiles also. And guess what they were doing? Preaching the Lord Jesus. Uh, basically, here's evangelism. They were coming back and preaching and speaking about the gospel. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And so he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, you see that. So it begins its infancy in Antioch of Syria. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed eventually. The Jerusalem council is still meeting, okay, because Peter's still there, all right? And so are the disciples. So the timing of this, okay, we're right in that, we're right in that time frame before Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed, okay? And so now things are going to kind of shift to Antioch of Syria and make their way there. So when you come down to chapter 12, uh, we see, of course, uh, in chapter 12, Peter is arrested and put into prison. And then we come to the first missionary journey in chapter 13 in verse number 1. And notice it says, And now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which or to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so we begin to see the journey as it begins to grow. You come to Chapter 13 and verse 44, uh, we find uh, Paul once again as he's making his journey, now as he turns to the Gentiles. And then I said in chapter 14, right? I said in chapter 14, uh, now you come to verse number 1 of chapter 14, and in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Now let me tell you, Iconium is to the east of Antioch of Pisidia. So when you look at the map and you go up kind of on a northern route above Antioch of Syria, you will see Antioch of Pisidia. And then if you go straight to the east of there, you will find Iconium. So you have Iconium and Lystra, and then you'll see Antioch of Pisidia. Okay, so there are two of them. So if you have a map in the back of your Bible, I don't know if you do, it may show it. Uh, if you have the missionary journeys of Paul, uh, let's see, I don't think... No, okay. I don't think I have it. I don't have any in mind. Okay, but you may. Uh, if you find the missionary journeys of Paul, um, you should be able to locate those on there. Okay? You should be able to find Antioch. Matter of fact, if you look at the, uh, 
the western coastline of Israel. You find the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, go up just a little bit and you should see, you should be able to see Antioch of Syria, okay? If you can't, you have a map in the back of your Bible. After we get finished tonight, if you'll come up, I'll point them out to you, okay? And we'll go from there, all right? So um, beyond Rome, all right, um, to the west and to the north, progress of the gospel seems to have slowed down. When you go through and you begin to read some of the history from such ones as Irenaeus, Ignatius, Tertullian, uh, some of those who have recorded some of the early church history for us, it almost seems like that it slowed down. And, um, you know, the question then becomes why would it have been, why would it have started to slow down? Because it started off and just, I mean, just record numbers of people were coming to know Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Antioch of Syria and you think about there's a half a million people and half of them became Christians. Could you imagine what would happen if something like that took place in the state of Louisiana? Huh? And people said, ah, it never happens. It's impossible. Really? Nothing is impossible with God. That is correct. It's not. Could more people come? Sure they could. So, and are you ready for this? Okay. This is one of the reasons why, I, okay, I, I'm sorry, you just got to bear with me. Okay. I, I just love history. Okay. And I love to read and study about the days of the early church. Because let me tell you what it does. I don't know if it does this for you, but it does this for me. Now I've come to appreciate the local church so much more. Because I know what it's been through. And I know what it's been through to get to where we are today. And I'm concerned about where we are today. In light of the history of where the church once was. But it began to slow down as it began to make its way to Rome, to the west and to the north as it continued. So in the southern area okay, of Europe... There's a country by what we call today France. During Paul's day, it was known as Gaul, G-A-U-L. But it is France as we know it today. And matter of fact, there was an individual that was there. Matter of fact, a church existed there in Lyons, and that's spelled L-Y-O-N-S, okay? Lyons, okay? A church existed there, and the one the bishop uh, that was there at the church at Lyons, uh, his name was Irenaeus. And Irenaeus left us several of his writings. And one of the things that he dealt with was the slowdown, okay, of the gospel. And there was even some concern in Irenaeus's day about the slowdown of the gospel. And uh, so when you think about that, I mean, these early church fathers, these early church writers were even concerned about the gospel and its slowing down and its acceptance as it spread further throughout the world. We don't know for certain, and I will say this as to how the gospel witness made its way to Great Britain for sure. Uh, There is no one who can be dogmatic about the way that it made its way to Great Britain. There is, some, there is some thought of how it made its way to Great Britain and up into that area. 
but no one can really be dogmatic as we can go back and we can pinpoint and determine exactly the way that the gospel got there. However, I will say this, God always has a way to get the gospel there. Regardless of anything we may think or do or we may think is impossible, God always has the means and God always has uh, what is going to be needed and necessary and take place to make sure that the gospel reaches the places that it needs to reach. And are you ready for this? And here's the great thing about all of this, okay? We have the privilege to be a part of it. We have the privilege to be a part of that because God uses us to carry the gospel. And I hate to say this to you, but, and, and if you don't, I'm not going to say it's okay, but you're not going to stop the work of God because God will continue to use those who make themselves available to be used. And what God is looking for tonight is our availability, not so much our ability, but our availability just to say, as Isaiah the prophet said, here am I, Lord, send me. Because what was it that God had told Isaiah? He said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap, but I found none. And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Let me tell you what's so desperately needed today is those who will take the gospel and proclaim the gospel and live out the gospel that's what we need. How did the gospel spread? How did, how did it spread from Acts chapter number 2 and make its way? I'll tell you how it spread. It spread by people who took the gospel on the missionary journey, started these local churches. Now, are you ready for this? All of these local churches that were started, guess what they did? They began to multiply and start other churches. And let me say this to you tonight. Denominations don't start churches. Associations don't start churches. Churches start churches. That's where it comes from. That's what took place with Paul. Churches multiply. And people say, well, that's one thing we definitely don't need today is more churches. It may not be a bad idea to start some new New Testament works founded on the biblical principles of the word of God because I'll tell you this tonight okay there's enough people in Ascension Parish we're not going to get them all in here or the churches that we have and so we have the privilege to be a part of all of this you know the social impact of the gospel was significant as its expansion took place throughout the world. The social impact was significant. And, and let me say this to you tonight. The social impact is still, just, is still just amazing as it is today. Have you ever seen someone who finally comes to the point in their life where there is no other answer but Jesus Christ? And when they give their heart and life to Christ, and the transformation that takes place inside of them. Do you understand that every time that happens, we're witnessing a miracle of God himself? Let me tell you what it's called. It's called the new birth. And I'll say this to you tonight. It ought to be something we get excited over every time it happens. I can, you know, I, I relate this for myself. Let me say this. 
when I finally surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, there were no lightning bolts, okay? There were no, there were no winds blowing or anything like that. There was no, there was no emotion, okay? Uh, there was absolutely nothing. But I remember sitting in the service when Clint Andrews was preaching. His message was entitled, You Cannot Have a Servant's Heart Until You've Had a Changed Heart. And he dealt with the subject of repentance. That's all Paul and them are dealing with is to repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Jesus Christ is the only answer. If you want a different life, then here's what you've got to do. You've got to change the walk you're on. And so when I heard that, <clears throat> and Brother Clint Andrews finished preaching, <clears throat> I mean, I, I had a... we. we we gave the invitation. Watch this. I can even tell you who's playing the piano. Her name's Carolyn. And matter of fact, she's married to Joe, who was a good friend of mine, okay? And his wife was playing the piano that day. Now, don't go, listen, don't ask me what the invitation song was because that part I don't remember. But I remember looking at that hymn book and the words begin to pass through my heart and my mind and a strong conviction came over my heart unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. It was almost like the Holy Spirit said, this is it, bud. This is it. Set the hymn book down, walked out of the pew, walked out of the chairs, walked down the aisle, Clint Andrews thought I was going to run him over. And I told him, I said, I've got to get this straight today. Before I leave here, this has got to be. He said, well, what are you coming for? I said, I need to get saved. And he looked at me with these big old eyes. Saved? I thought you already were. Oh, no, no. Mm -mm. Nope. And so that, that morning, on a front chair, he took the word of God and showed me who I was in light of a holy God and what was necessary in my heart. And so after it was over with, <clears throat> we prayed. I got up and I said, so when they baptize him, he said, tonight. I said, put my name on the list. I'll be there. And so then my life has never been the same since then. That's, that's what's going on here. Lives are being transformed. Lives are being changed. The social impact of the gospel due to his expansion has just been unbelievable. Throughout the first three centuries, the majority of believers were simple, humble, slaves, women, traders, and soldiers. That's, that's, that's the record that we have, the historical record of most of them and most of the population, though. It's not surprising because most of the population was in those classes, and that's why you would have those large numbers. But the gospel is available to all. So why did the Christian faith spread in such an extraordinary way? That's why we ask that question so often. How, why did it happen? And by any ordinary standards, it was probably, nothing could have been less likely to succeed than what was taking place. But it was growing, it was succeeding, it was unbelievable. So here's what I want to do real quickly tonight. I want to give you three reasons for the spread of why you see the spread of Christianity move at such a pace that it did and what took place 
to bring about that, that change. Here's the first one. This is apart from the divine side, okay? We all know that it was God who was at the, at the, at the lead, at the head of this movement, okay? So what were the three? Well, here's the first one. The early believers were moved. They were absolutely moved by a burning conviction. That's what moved them. Lives were being changed by the power of the gospel, and it could not be kept quiet. So there was this burning conviction within inside of them. That's why it was growing. That's why it was expanding. And I wonder what would happen today if our churches got this overbearing, overwhelming, burning conviction for the gospel. To share it everywhere we are, not just by words, but by living it out. Does it mean anything to us? How important is it to us? The gospel. Because I can tell you tonight, there is nothing. There is nothing any greater than the message of the gospel. That's why Paul, listen, that's why Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. Here's my concern. The church we've gotten today, the church has gotten to the part, to the to the point today that we're more, listen, we are more interested in how we market who we are than the power of the gospel. We can put all the marketing ploys in place that we want to. We can put all of those things there. <clears throat> how, do, how do we get them in the door? Let me tell you, the way that we get them in the door is by preaching the truth of the word of God and a sound gospel. Now, are you going to draw all the other crowds? No. But you can draw those that are seeking to hear the truth and the truth of the gospel. Not all the marketing ploys. Number two. Second, probably one of the, the second leading reason, the gospel met a need in the hearts of people. What do we mean by that? Listen, there was a great deal of heretical teaching that was taking place. Agnosticism was growing. Stoicism was growing. You have the Stoics. You have the Epicureans. Paul dealt with them in Athens. Okay? All of that was growing. Any different than where we are today? No. None. But we have the truth. We have the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to center on. That's what we have to understand. That's, that's, that's what we have to concentrate on. And the third reason was seen in this. Right? And here's the third reason. It was seen in the practical expression of love among the believers. Tertullian wrote. Let me share with you what Tertullian wrote. He said, See how these Christians love one another. Is it any wonder that Tertullian said that? Is it any wonder that Tertullian wrote that? 
What had Jesus already told the disciples long before Tertullian ever wrote it? He said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for the brethren, for the love that you have for each other. That's where the, that's, that's where the key is. Let me ask, let me, how many of y'all in a lot of churches you've been associated with this had a church cemetery? Have any reason, have any idea why churches got into the cemetery business? It goes back to the days of the early church. Because here's what they were concerned about. Was people when they died that didn't have the means or the ability to bury their loved ones. That the churches started cemeteries back in the days of the early church to show their love to those by providing a place for them to bury their dead. You ever thought about that? I pastored a church. We had a cemetery. Oh, my. Okay. But there was a reason why it was there. It goes back to the days of the early church. So we find ourselves from here, persecution and martyrdom begin to increase. And are you ready for this? The more the persecution came, the more the martyrdom came, the stronger the church became. And the more the church began to grow. Mm -hmm. There's a saying that we use in Mississippi. It's called living high on the hog. Y'all ever heard that before? Living high on the hog. I'm afraid the Western church has come to the place today that we've been living high on the hog. Let's go to Acts 27 and 28, and I'll finish with these tonight. Paul in Rome. He appealed to go to Caesar. Chapter 27 and chapter 28. Chapter 27 and verse 1, and so when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in, and embarking in an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and he put us aboard it. And of course, you go over to verse 14, they have the shipwreck, and of course, Paul, and see, here's the interesting thing about it, Paul was concerned for all of those here on the ship, and he showed his concern. Um, Matter of fact, when you go to verse 31, notice what Paul tells them, or let's look at verse 30. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea, 
on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day uh, was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Hmm. Paul still, you see his concern even for all of them that were on that boat with him. Then you go to chapter 28, and they finally are safe at Malta. And... You come down to verse number 11, and Paul arrives at Rome. At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. And after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And then you can find all the things that occurred. But one would drop down to verse 24, all right? Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. (laughs) Paul's always going to get in that last word. Notice what he says. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to the people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand and you will keep on seeing but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. Verse 28, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Now watch this. Preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness And you ought to underline the next word, and I will tell you why it was unhindered, because God saw to it that it was unhindered. Even in his situation, the gospel still went out. And my dear friend today, for the church, we need to understand the clock is ticking. We have the truth of the gospel. That's why Paul writing to the church at Corinth, here's what he said. He said, if our gospel is hidden, who is it hidden from but those who are lost? We have been entrusted with the gospel. I wonder if, if we're, we're following through with what Paul and the early church started. Are we following through with the earnest conviction and the love for each other, concerned and burdened for the lost, with the clock ticking, 
knowing that judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And that's the message that needs to be proclaimed today. But my question tonight, and the more I study the, the days of the early church, I mean, the, the, the stronger it gets with inside of me. I would rather someone get upset with me for sharing the truth than to not share the truth and they die without it and to look at them one day and say, why didn't you tell me? At least you'll hear the truth. It's up to you what you do with it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for just being able to go back and study from the days of the early church. And Father, as we reflect upon those, Father, may we today understand just the responsibility that we have being entrusted with the gospel. And Father, may we be found faithful to carry it with us everywhere we go. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the empty tomb. And I thank you that Jesus is at your right hand tonight making intercession on our behalf. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Father, let us not neglect what we have been entrusted with to share with those around us. And that is the gospel that changed all of our lives inside of this building here tonight. We love you. Dismiss us now from this place as we go. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.